Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I've had a little coffee, thanks to you. You got me a little coffee. Mm-hmm. I've had a lovely little coffee. Shout out to Good Brews and Gateshead in the Northeast for their fine brews of a morning. More like great head, because yeah. they're great. <laughs> oh, no. It's mostly just a comment on the state of Gateshead. Also, shout out to anyone who lives in Gateshead. What Culture HQ is based in Gateshead. Um, but I don't think anyone's ever referred to Gateshead as Greatshead. Mm. It's never really earned it. It's, it's, a, fir- a, it's a first time for me as well. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of police presence around the, uh, the station this morning <laughs> when we were coming in. Um, but this is the Entitled Banner Podcast. The UBP, the UBP, the UBP. The UNBP yet again because Jules Gill constantly doing a business. He's either doing a business or he's off or he's doing whatever, but it doesn't matter because we're having a lovely time anyway. You and how are you feeling? I'm doing great. I hope I'm not becoming one of those sitcom replacement characters that everyone gets <laughs> sick of after a while. No, I think you're the one that like comes in and actually is one of the best possible replacements <laughs> you like could have. Woody Harrelson and Cheers. Yes, I've not actually watched that. I'm admitting this on, on air, but I've barely watched it. I mean, years. to be fair, it's very before both our mm. times. The only reason that I've seen bits of it is because spiritually I have the soul of a 75-year-old man. <laughs> so that's the reason why I'm aware of Cheers. I remember watching little bits of Cheers because it was always mentioned as like the um, the progenitor of Friends or the, the modern sitcom or whatever. So I did bits and pieces of it, but I've not seen that much of it. Anyway, the entire part of podcast is where we take on people's questions, talking points, etc. However, because we're recording a day in advance, I just thought why not go back into what Jules Gill once called the take trough to uh, retrieve some questions and talking points because, because we always get so many through anyway. Um, and I would rather try and get to as many submissions that people have sent across regardless. So um, a question from Jack Asbury. And there's, some of these are from last week, some of them are from previous weeks. I thought, why not do a bit of a roundup? Um, question from Jack Asbury who says, question for you and why is Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes the low-key best Marvel cartoon? I mean, for the first off, it has like probably the third best intro for like a Marvel show. I've never even heard of this thing. So you have like, obviously you have X-Men, which is like, yeah, the riff, yeah. And then obviously you have the 90s Spider-Man show, uh-huh. which is like, um, you know, I the can't remember spider the blood, spider blood, oh, yeah. radioactive spider blood. Oh. Bring back guitar riff intros, like yeah. where'd they go? They're both great. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> on the bottom <laughs> rung, you have the Fantastic Four animated series intro, which if I speak aloud, um, will act like a mind virus and everyone will get it stuck in their brains. <laughs> I don't think I ever watched that. There's no need to be there. Here. Just call the book. Sadly, I don't even. I mean, that sounds that's awesome, but I have no. It's from the same era. You okay. had that, like you had Iron Man, you had Hulk. The Hulk one was pretty good inspired. But anyway, Avengers: Earth's Mightiest <laughs> Hero came out like the late two thousands, uh, uh, and had this really like really badass intro. It's like the world's about to break. <laughs> It's a really Duh. fun show for what it was. It's not. It's never been like. It's not like the peak of like my '90s Marvel love mm. or like the early 2000s. Because X Men Evolution for me is like really underrated as a cartoon so you, series. You, you were able to keep going. I, yeah. I had the Spider Man Fox show, the X Men show. Bear in mind that I am like seven years younger than you. True, so. but I, yeah, <laughs> for me, like I like I watched those in the '90s, mm-hmm. and then that was it. I didn't. I'd never even heard of this Avengers one, and I didn't keep going for the other Spider Man. The Avengers one. This is very late. This is like late 2000s. Mm. Late. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a good show. I reckon. I mean, if you're into that sort of thing like it's it's pretty inoffensively mm. charming there are some fun deep comic book pulls mm-hmm. um never reaches the heights of like the older stuff but yeah right. it's, it's a fun time i want to uh, break some minds my introduction to the justice league was the i think they're called the super friends on dexter's lab oh damn yeah i, I didn't even know what the justice league was i wait. was just like oh it's like they're like them so wait so you scott <laughs> Telford, you like batman animated series don't i you? love Batman. Animated no, do you series. like did you watch batman beyond no did you watch super well i uh, so, so I saw little bits and pieces of Batman Beyond, but when I was young, I was like, this isn't my Batman, this isn't for me. It's just the same people who made it. I, well, young me was like, it's not Batman, though. Like, it's a different look. Oh, and he... you fool. 
You fool. <laughs> Batman Beyond is like the story. You fool. Like Batman, like honestly, mate, if you if you love to revisit Batman animated uh-huh. series, and this goes to anyone listening right now, if you love Batman animated series and venerate that series very highly. It's on Netflix now, by the way. Just treat yourself. Mm-hmm. Go watch Superman the animated series, which is done by the same creative team of Bruce, uh, Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, Alan mm-hmm. Burnett, etc. Watch Batman Beyond because it is the coolest, most metal, cyber goth, like punk stuff ever. And I just, I love that series to pieces. You won me with the word cyber goth. It's got the best, like, um, intro to a superhero. Like, it, like we know, like, Batman Night Series is a great intro, whatever. Mm-hmm. The Batman Beyond intro, which is storyboarded by the late, great Darwin Cook, who's one of my favorite comic artists of all time, storytellers in general, mm-hmm. um, is just brilliant. And then that feeds into the Justice League series, which uh-huh. is kind of where, obviously the Static, Static Shock as well, which kind of came out around that time, which is all set in the same universe, DC Animated Universe. Um, Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, the stuff that they achieve in that show is just as good as what they do with BTAS. And mm-hmm. it kind of represents a storytelling high point for the DCAU project as a whole. DC as an entity to me mm-hmm. has never been better than those Justice League cartoons in the early 2000s. Okay. Um, they do a really intricate multi-season long arc called the Cadmus arc. And it dives into like, um, kind of like almost like Watchmen inspired discussions of like superhero derm and fear and like, you know, gods and monsters right, and all okay. that sort of stuff. And it's just the, the, the stuff they achieve with that, the character arcs, mm-hmm. the introductions you get to obscure DC heroes, which have informed my tastes in comics for years now. I always gravitate towards those like Silver Age, Golden Age, obscure characters because of this show. Yeah. Honestly, I would fully recommend you go check that out because it is genius. Mm. I you've massively sold me on Batman Beyond. I, mean, I know I know what Batman Beyond is and I've always seen the skins and I've seen bits and pieces of when that show was originally on. Um but at the time like I said, Young Me was just just like the original one. But mm. I remember finding out years later that it was Kevin Conroy as old Bruce. Yes. Willis, I was going to call him there, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I like the idea of that. To be honest, I'm now thinking of places I can get a, a Batman Beyond box set yeah, from. Yeah, you I mean you can get? I got the Blu-ray the other yeah. year. It's it's a great set. The only thing I would say is it comes with Return of the Joker, which is my favorite Batman yeah. movie. Full stop. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. It is brilliant. Mm-hmm. That feeds into Batman animated series too. The only thing I will say with that is that the one that they packaged with the at least the UK edition is the censored version. Huh. You want the uncensored version? What's because, uncensored? Is it? Um, well, they censor all the blood. It's it's right. very dark. It's okay. very very dark. They get rid of all the blood, and they, there's a thing that happens with Joker that I won't spoil, which is completely changed in the censored version as well. Right. So if you can just track down, there's an uncensored DVD which is multi-region, which you can probably get, but it's oh, fully dude. worth it. Shout out to that entire era. Like, mm-hmm. just, I mean, I was, I, my wife hadn't my my wife hadn't seen uh, Mask of the Phantasm until like last year, so I was like, we need to sit down and watch Mask of the Phantasm. If you love Mask of the Phantasm, you will love this, and you will love the Batman Superman World's Finest movie, which is okay. another one they did which was a crossover between Superman and Batman. And to this day, it has my favorite meeting of Superman and Batman where they both <laughs> uncover each other's identities. Uh-huh. I'm getting goosebumps, man. Sorry, it's cool. this, has this become the DCAU variety? As now, well it? it can. I mean, I, like, uh, I'm not a big Superman fan. I kind of realized like, oh, how much DC's pushing. I mean, we'll get to video game stuff. We have yes. lots of questions and things. But um, in regards to Superman, I just have a gut feeling that Superman ain't it. No, right. This is the know. thing. I'm going to turn you around on this now, Scott. I think the reason why you think that is because the the way Superman has been presented to us over the past 20 years has been a fundamental misrepresentation of what is good mm. about the character. I did um, love the sitcom show that was on in the 90s. Oh, Lois and Clark. Yeah, no, that, uh, maybe. they. I think it was that was what was the it? The Smallville as well. It was bef- the one that was before Smallville. Yes, yeah, so Lois and Clark. I think maybe Lois Superman. and Clark, yeah. 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 Um, that, <laughs> like, that kind of spirit is more in tune with what, what we're after. The, but what they do in the DCAU is what Superman is to me, where they don't make him, they don't try and make him dark and edge. They don't give mm. him like the whole badass red eye thing. There's no kind of like, oh, Superman's only interesting if he's evil or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they really get to the core of what makes that character compelling. They add more vulnerability to him. They don't make him, and which is kind of the same evolution he overtook in the comics, where you have John Byrne come in and write the character in, mm. in the 80s and 90s and really kind of with the Man of Steel books basically gives us the definitive, what is to me the definitive incarnation of Superman. And mm-hmm. um, so honestly, I, I don't know, it's very difficult. Superman is a tough sell to this kind of very cynical modern era that we're in, but that is why he is so compelling to me is that he kind mm-hmm. of stands against that. And it's not always all truth, justice, the American way. It's, you know how people saw Captain America before like yeah, he was yeah. like introduced? And it, it's a similar thing to that. That earnestness stands as a, a nice uplifting contrast, but there's also moments of darkness and mm. there's also moments of great cosmic stuff where they layer in what Jack Kirby did with Dark Side and the fourth world and everything. Dude, honestly, I 
give Superman the animated series a go. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Give, probably give Batman Beyond a go first. I'm going to do Batman Beyond, speed. yeah. But Superman the animated series um, is is great too. Okay. The, yeah, you mentioned Cap, and we'll totally get to game stuff soon, but the way they presented Captain America across the MCU, when you look back on it, it does feel like this. You, like, tap danced over a few laser beams and nailed this kind of thing. Like, they, I love the, his whole motivation. I love the deconstruction of why he is Captain America. They, they did such a good... Um, dissection of that stuff in the first movie and then like kind of picking it, picking it apart a bit more in Civil War as well. Um, I miss that era. I miss mm. when we had faith in all that stuff. Yeah. That was that was a lovely time to uh, <laughs> to experience <laughs> in real time. But yeah, get, getting through uh, more people's questions. Did we even answer that one? Yes, we did. Yeah. Um, question from Jim Donaldson who says, gents, what old school gaming habit do you still do to this day? Even now, I'll keep three manual saves on the go, overriding the oldest after each session. I'll back that. I don't trust auto saves. I've mentioned it many times before, maybe even to you, but I don't, I don't trust auto saves at all. Baldur's Gate 3, just finished it last night. I'll always re- override my auto save with an actual save, mm. even though it's the same thing. Yeah, I think that's smart practice be sure. in general. I remember when I was reviewing Marvel's Midnight Suns for Old Workplace last year, mm-hmm. um, I literally had an issue where whenever I tried to override a save, it would just crash and I'd lose oh, the progress really? on the overwritten save as well. So <laughs> that that sucked a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, backup saves, that's just a smart, pragma- pragmatic thing mm-hmm. to do if they, unless they don't give you the option, in which case you're kind of hinging your enjoyment on the autosave mm. spinning rectangle of mm-hmm. doom. I feel like um, in terms of old school gaming habits, I guess they've become habits, but it's like it's buying physical, it's reading the instruction manual on the way home, if there even is one. Hardly any games ever do, but that's why I love a good steelbook and a nice collector's edition. Yeah, there's never really, in, I remember like, oh, this is such like a, you know, like a childhood experience, like, you know, <laughs> getting a game and then rigorously going through the instruction manual, yeah. but also looking at the back of the box and like looking at the things. Now, if you look at the back of a box, like an even like a massive AAA game, there's mm. nothing. It's like, no. oh, Continue the adventures of blah. And it's like th- three <laughs> screenshots of that. And a quote saying, yeah. like, one of the games of the year. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I don't really have old gaming habits. I mean, I'm mm. still, I, this is going to, sh- anyone who's like a posturist is going to be like crying. Well, inside. That's someone who like, you know, looks at people's posture and stuff. Or oh, whatever. okay, okay. Like, I sit on the floor and play games still, which uh-huh. at the age of 27 makes me look like a gigantic <laughs> child. Um, hey, if you're happy, that's lovely. But, you know, that's 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 probably my oldest gaming habit is that I still prefer to play games on the floor. That's fun. See, when when I got when the um, there was that spate of mini consoles a couple a few years ago, it was like the mini uh, mini NES, mini SNES, mini Mega Drive, mini PlayStation. All of them I played on the floor, but that was mainly because the controller lengths weren't long enough to be able to sit <laughs> back on the the couch. But when I got my N sixty four for my thirtieth birthday, um, I bought a controller extending thing so I could play that on the couch across the living room. But there's something about gaming on the floor, man, especially with friends. Like especially when, I have a friend over, when yeah. you have like a drink to your right, a bowl of snacks to your left. <laughs> I feel like that the whole snack gaming thing is one of the biggest um uh, myths in gaming because yeah, you, you can't, can't you need to like have the hand sanitizer yeah. on the go man yeah, yeah the sanitizer so I, I like one of my life hacks is taking like a lemon wipe into the room where I'm going to have the finger food mm. then I don't have to get up and go and wash the hands I can lemon wipe it you just get the restaurant experience get a little finger bowl yeah 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 <laughs> it literally was inspired by KFC like the, you get those little hand wipes I'm like let me just I live mean, like, a, like a restaurant where you get the little bowl to dip your hands in after <laughs> like little, peeling prawns a or lemon slice man. I mean I, the, the thing that would complete that for me little blankie little blanket right. just to go over you keep you nice and yeah, especially. This time of year, like peak, uh, peak cozy core, yeah, bit of the old cozy core. Two AM, Baldur's Gate with uh, with a bowl of snacks. That's too late. It's past my bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's when I come alive. Um, a question from Travis Nichols who says, "Quick, what was your favorite video game startup cinematic? You know the one that plays every time you boot up the game. They'll go first. The Punisher on PlayStation Two. I know exactly what mine is. It's Onimusha Three. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you played Onimusha Three. Uh, no, I haven't. I if I, I watch Batman Beyond, you should watch the intro to Onimusha. Don't 3. know why it took me so long to answer that. I've literally <laughs> think I've heard that word three times before." <laughs> My life. Oh my god, the Onimusha series is so stupidly overlooked. I'm still hoping that it's coming back because you've got the Netflix anime. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the remaster of the first Onimusha that they put out, I think, last year or the year before. It seems like Capcom want to do something with it again. Um, the Onimusha series, though, is, I was going to swear, they're effing awesome. Um, but Onimusha 3, um, for like 2004 or whatever it was, has this mind-blowing opening CG thing where you're following the dude, Samanosuke, he's like this warrior and he's going up against this big like beast army but all the mm. choreography and the fights is all done proper hand-to-hand combat, martial arts stuff. Oh, it's so effing cool <laughs> that they've never topped it and the game itself you can argue didn't top it either um, but the opening for that game is is hands down at least my favourite opening cinematic ever yeah I mean I'm gonna have to go through for an old school pick here again and go Marvel Ultimate Alliance because oh. um, Blur Studios they kind of they got their start with the I wanna say like in the gaming space I recognised them because they were in, they were brought on for X-Men Legends 2 mm-hmm. which had like really nice Blur constructed cinematics mm-hmm. 
then Marvel Ultimate Alliance, the intro of that where it's just uh, Captain America, Thor, Spidey, and Wolverine beaming on the helicarrier. That bit. Uh, with Nick Fury and Doctor Doom, and like they're all like destroying the different like mm-hmm. bots and stuff. That is such a, a cool way to introduce you oh, to the, the upscale of everything. That bit, because they cast Cam Clark, Liquid Snake, as Thor. Mm-hmm. And the bit when he flies up and he cuts that machine in half and he's like, soulless machine. Like, <laughs> I, I, How dare you strike the son of Odin? Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's terrible. I know all the dialogue. There. No, no, it's great. <laughs> that was, oh is my this God. the fairy to Staten Island. <laughs> Ultimate Alliance absolutely ruled. Um, because they can't even buy them anymore. Like they, they remastered them and then they delisted them I again. I was thankfully there to get it. Right. So it's there on my PlayStation. But I also have it for 360 mm. and I'll probably buy it again and again and again. When did you come down super quick on the Ultimate Alliance 1 versus 2 split? 1. I mean, t- that's, that's got to be 1. 2, yeah. two, two was, um, wasn't was uh, Raven. It was uh, Treyarch. Mm. And they, like, they messed with too much. They didn't really keep the soul of the original game. I don't care for Civil War as a comic either. So mm. get that out of there for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I will say I think X-Men Legends 1 and 2 are better than Ultimate Alliance. I love Ultimate Alliance. But I just love being in the X Men space right, specifically, right. Um, and I'm such a finicky Marvel fan that like <laughs> the idea of like bringing Daredevil, even though he's my favorite Marvel character, to a place like Asgard, and he's just not got right. any like special power. I'm in my head. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just happy to have my little X Men team. To be honest, yeah, I would back Ultimate Alliance one as well. I remember going back to two um, a few years later to, to 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 try again and get through it. Um, it's fine. It looks better, like graphically, but it doesn't. Graphically, it's not. You don't really it. care, do you? The stuff. Nah. Yeah, it's a shame that we didn't. They, oh man, Activision have crimes to answer for. Mm-hmm. So many crimes, <laughs> way worse than what they did with Marvel. But you know what I mean. Did you um, get Ron Ultimate Alliance three, the Switch one? No, I don't it's, have a um, Switch. <laughs> no, but I was wondering if you saw it or whatever, because it's such a different game. You, we played a couple games at the old office. Yeah. I recall. It's a weird. It's a weird thing. I, feel, I always, I, every single time, my brain will not clarify whether it's Ninja Theory or Team Ninja, but it's one of them. I think it was uh, Ninja Theory, um, the one that isn't the Hellblade devs, and mm. um, it's the Ninja Gaiden lot who came in and did uh, Ultimate Alliance 3, so it's way more melee-focused and combo-focused and, like, grinding for items to craft-focused. And it was just like, what even is this anymore? It's just ridiculous to me as well that they make a, a Marvel Ultimate Alliance sequel. Like, one of the most anticipated Marvel licenses mm. ever is this Switch exclusive. Yeah. Like, not, not the Switch or anything, but, like, that should be getting the AAA experience. It's, it's annoying that we've not had any of those kind of, like, apart from, like, Diablo is the one that started at all and is the one mm. that has remained. Like, it's really annoying that we haven't had any, like... Diablo-esque superhero RPGs. No, actually. I mean, if you give it a long enough timeline, you would assume that someone... I mean, my head just goes to Larian because they did Baldur's Gate, Mm. but imagine a Baldur's Gate level of depth with (laughs) the MCU or like Ultimate Alliance or whatever. Um, That could be cool. But yeah, like that whole Switch exclusive thing still makes... It makes less sense the more time has passed. Like there's not even a version of that available anywhere else. Um, Question from Dustin who says, as a longtime PlayStation connoisseur, I'm wondering if y'all believe Xbox has done enough to get PlayStation users to buy an Xbox console this holiday season. Seems like waiting for the rumored updated consoles next year is the way to go. Um, this is fascinating because I don't know if you've kept up with the, I mean, I feel like five people on earth keep up with console sales. But have you seen the Xbox sales statistics at the minute? I saw that they did really badly in Japan recently. So they sold it, it's literally almost a hundredth of what the PS5 sold in Japan. It was like, it was 102K PS5s and like 2,000 Xboxes were sold. And that's combined Series X and S. Um, more recently, the Europe's um, statistics have came out. I don't have those numbers to hand, but Xbox is very much behind um, the uh, PlayStation and Nintendo. Although Nintendo's also dropped off. It was like 20% down from last. Yeah. But mate, they have the Wonka con- console now. They do. They have a Bluey console as well. I just tapping into markets that I've barely the, heard the of. The Wonka console is going <laughs> to save Xbox. There's not a Wonka. There's not a chocolate. How is that not a chocolate fact, like a Factorio style Willy Wonka chocolate factory management game? How does that not exist? Like <laughs> because you could probably do be that. Timothy Chalamet now. <laughs> <laughs> you could get the old, um, what's that dude called? Gene Wilder. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, but he's dead. No, but you could do like a, st- in that style. Like, uh, I don't know. You know. Either way, a chocolate factory game. I know they're doing um, Haunted Chocolatier, um, the game that's coming up from um, Eric Baroni. That's his follow-up to Stardew Valley mm-hmm. as a chocolatier game. But that's going to be sometime next year. Anyway, um, yeah, the whole Xbox thing. Uh, no, I don't think they've done enough, but I think it depends on the optics of what people want from their consoles. If you just want a monthly rollout of stuff, a curated selection of stuff for a good price, then you can get a Series S and Game Pass and you're sorted. But you're not going to have those big marquee tentpole titles because they haven't got a single one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's still such, like, it's still a significant investment that you're asking for people. And, like, if you already own a PS5, you're going to already be less inclined to pick up an mm. Xbox. Like, unless you're, like, you know, proper hardcore, I want to play everything gamer person. Which I am. Uh, which you are. <laughs> 
Um, again, like I thought, if the thing for me is like if Starfield didn't convince me to buy an Xbox, and I as someone who deeply appreciates mm. Bethesda's RPGs, God, I thought about Starfield. Yeah, then I'm. It's probably never going to happen to me. I mean, Indiana Jones potentially, but even then. I'm not going to just, I can't just, I think it's one of those where I still have so many old Xbox and Xbox 360 games in my library that at some point, because my 360 is knackered, I'm going to have to get a, a seri- mm. uh, an Xbox One or a Series X to mm. actually play those again. Um, but nothing new is compelling me urgently to buy an Xbox. That's hilarious because I I love Starfield and I forgot to even mention it. Like I love that I put over a hundred hours in it. Like me and Josh both went through it to the spoilers. I did the podcast on it and everything. And I've got it in our Games of the Year thing that's coming out later in the year. Um, and I do think it's a phenomenal game. Would I say you spend the console money to play it? No. Like it's uh, it's solid, but it's just solid. It's not gonna you know it's not gonna I'm justify still finding the console. new stuff in Skyrim, man. I right. can't, like <laughs> it, it would be different if if they announced tomorrow that Xbox is gonna do a big old remastered collection of Fallout Three New Vegas <laughs> and like for, for arguments. We are Fallout apparently getting the Fallout Three one, but I would I would love to play New Vegas again. Right, like, I, w- I would adore. To play that the thing game. that they because I think they have a huge optics problem. I think when people think about like oh what console should I get, they just default to Nintendo or PlayStation because Xbox just isn't in the conversation. They are a bit more because of all the acquisitions, but that's still not a reason to buy a console other than you can brute force the people who just want to have Call of Duty every year and be like, just pay this one fee and you'll get it uh, when all that stuff goes across the Game Pass. But they just don't have the the eyeball-turning, head-turning releases. Starfield was the nearest thing to it, but I feel like the general um, you know conversation around that game has only got more negative over time. I'm not in that conversation. I love that thing, but I totally see the issues with it. Like, it's, it's just daft you know, to me that you could literally come a point where you you get you just basically stream all your games like mm. well not stream you you have xbox game pass and mm. you basically play you know, play on that subscription model and then if you sack all that off you won't actually own anything for your no. machine like that <laughs> that to me is like wild that's their gamble for the future of the whole industry i saw youtube do it are doing streaming games now as well like when you scroll down on the app like same as netflix on the app well, you can bombard just... you with like 15 unskippable adverts <laughs> <laughs> another angry birds uh, clone that has an advert in front of it but um but yeah the xbox thing uh, for me like having a series x i got one back at launch um it's like an archive system it's kind of like how i treat my steam deck it's just something i can go on to i it's like what amazon prime is to netflix to me where if mm. i think of a movie it's probably on the archive it's probably on amazon and if i think of some sort of old game it's probably on xbox backwards compatible but when i go on my library it isn't new stuff it's a hi-fi rush isn't still installed it's sonic fighters sonic 3 you know it's prince of persia from 2009 like yeah my og xbox is still going strong after right. 20 years <laughs> um which again it was built like a bombshell it's an indictment of how crappily made the xbox 360 was even though i think that is probably on merit the best library we've ever gotten in a, in a console Oh, um, that's a big conversation. 360 for me, like in terms of this. PlayStation 2 had. or Super Nintendo. Um, but yeah, like the OG Xbox, I mean, that is becoming my retro gaming machine. Mm-hmm. Um, played Scooby-Doo Unmasked the other day. Hell yeah, you did. Great time. <laughs> I love, that's the thing. I love having I love having an archive of old games and I just wish it was some sort of service gave you that across the board. Um, I do really shout out the Xbox's dedicated backwards compatibility team. Um, and there are various interviews with them over the years saying just how hard it is going back to those games and making them run again. And the amount of legwork they have to do getting in touch with license holders and everything else like it is incredible but they don't front load that at all that's what i was gonna in say the marketing if or whatever they were gonna if they want to make genuine ground on playstation in the next few years what mm-hmm. they need to do is they need to do what playstation did when it it gazumped um xbox <laughs> yes. in the 20 in 2013 they need to emphasize the convenience of being able to play your entire library mm-hmm. on one machine mm-hmm. playstation isn't going to have that issue for much longer when people start forgetting about the PlayStation 3 experiences or whatever. Mm. And they, they really just have the PlayStation 4 library, the PlayStation 5 library. If Xbox wants to start making ground, they need to say, well, actually, you know, you as a lifetime of being a video game person, mm-hmm. you can play any X, well, most Xbox games on this console. Mm-hmm. There, is, there is no hassle. Whereas PlayStation's own, the, P- the PS3 has like, again, crimes to answer for, man. Like, <laughs> like the way that thing was built, the fact that you can't like go back through that. Um, that's how I would be making that argument. Anyway. No, dude, like if they, like if I was running Xbox, maybe I'll do a video on this. I'll rant about it. If they did- if you were Johnny Xbox. If I was Mr. Xbox, if I was Xavier Box, I would lean entirely <laughs> into the fact that they, like, you know, have the marketing that has the side-by-side. Like you mentioned New Vegas, you could easily have a side-by-side comparison because if you play that right now, the frame rate's updated, it has auto HDR, it runs better than it ever did back then. And most people, because their brain ages the game for them in the best, it remasters it for you, won't remember how that thing looked in 2011. So do the side-by-sides, do 
that for the old games. Sell it on like the retro market. Play your childhood. Re-experience these games better than ever. Like the best version of all those old games, if they've been put through the backwards compatibility team, is on Xbox. Like easily, it just is. Um, outside the emulation scene or the fat other PC scene. Um, yeah, they don't do anything with that. It's infuriating because it's a great reason to have an Xbox. There is a long-term reason they should be doing this as mm. well because gaming as a hobby is getting more expensive. Mm -hmm. If you and, and the way Game Pass works, obviously they have a lot of older titles on there as well, but primarily one of the big draws is that you can play Xbox exclusives on Game Pass at you know, X hours after they, they launch or whatever, or mm -hmm. when they launch. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. They need to... That, you, I feel like there's a dwindling... The, the, the market shrinks the more mm. expensive it gets. True. Because... In, you know, the, the way of inflation, cost of living crisis, people's wages aren't catching up or whatever. The way you make, you win this argument, the way you win the argument is to basically make it so Xbox is the easiest pl platform to play on and we have the easiest, most hassle-free way of playing older titles. Yeah. And you can have them all on this one machine. Mm -hmm. PlayStation can't do that. That's the way I would be winning the argument as Xbox. Like, it's great to be investing in new experiences and new games because that's what we all want from the industry. We want new things mm -hmm. that, that are great. Um, but the way you do this to me is that you literally are like, well, no, like even though that is a part of our experience um we're gonna make it easier for you to actually have a platform to play on totally i mean I, i'm the biggest advocate of new stuff like that the uh, the push into remakes and remasters across the board is something that makes me itch or whatever but like it's because <laughs> you want to get that checked out I, yeah, <laughs> it motivates me but it's one of those things where they like you said they should just have you know there's a certain level of access to an archive or to a legacy or the history of a certain medium that just should be there we expect it with music like it was a weird thing i think i mentioned this on a different podcast when um, you couldn't listen to the Beatles because the Apple, not Apple, the um, computer company, but like Apple, the recording studio, who might be the same thing, now that I think about it, um, didn't have the Beatles uh, catalogs available. That was a weird thing. Music history wasn't available. Um, and it's the same thing in gaming, or it should be. Like that stuff should just be there as a bedrock. And it's not on the PlayStation side. And like you said, if they lent into that, um, I think it's mainly because Phil Spencer slash Xbox slash uh, Microsoft don't want to do that style of adverts um, or that style of marketing because it was such a thing in the 90s and 2000s. Um, like the whole Sega thing, Sega does what Nintendo don't and all that kind of stuff. Like, that was everywhere for the 90s They're and trying 2000s. to be Mr. Nice Guy, aren't they? They're trying to yes. be like, oh, Xbox is like for the gamers, man. Oh, we're going to give, give Call of Duty the PlayStation for 10 years. We're so nice. We're so friendly. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're just, oh, we couldn't possibly just, just <laughs> get, but also, get your nails in me. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm like, I want you to, that's the whole thing with Phil Spencer is like the general approach that they've had is like, everyone can play with everyone. When any, when everyone plays, we all win. It's like, yeah, I, I totally get you it. What it is, it's toxic kindness. <laughs> it, it gives me a big red, it gives 
me the ick. I just, I'm kind of like, I, I get it, and I definitely benefit from those deals that you're making, and Game Pass is only going to become a better monthly service, providing it keeps going overall. Um, but at the same time, like you said, get stuck in, man. Like, you might, like for me, the competition in the gaming space only leads to better exclusives or better reasons to bring people to your console. The consumer benefits overall, providing they can cough up the money for the console, which is obviously the biggest part of it. Yeah, they need to do it soon, otherwise, in like 10 years' time, the only thing people think of when they think of Xbox is that weird Transformer in the 2007 movie who transforms out on Xbox. <laughs> I was trying to think of the last like big mainstream touchstone for Xbox and it's like Gears Michael 4. Bay's Transformers. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> back in like 15 years, 16 years ago. They, uh, they've not had a win um, and Starfield, I would say Starfield was enough of a win and people were talking about it. It was the game for like a week or a fortnight um, but they've not had a big, oh my God, what's going on over there style thing um, since uh, two generations ago. It's been yeah. ages. Yeah. Um, so I guess no is the answer to that question. Um, <laughs> question from Sean Captiville, who says, have you two played games that made entire genres finally click for you? I recently got Returnal and it's made me truly appreciate roguelikes for the first time. Um, I, do you have one for this? I have one for this. Yeah, yeah, I do. I have Hades for roguelikes oh, and uh, and Elden Ring for Souls-likes. Those Shout. are the two. Both, but I mean, I've spoken about them previously. Hades made me fall in love with video games again. Like, nice. It made me relearn all the kind of convenient fast food style gameplay design that I basically absorbed into my pores mm. over like 20 years of gaming mm -hmm. and basically made me remember it's actually, oh no, it's okay to fail. Like in, in a lot of games you have a, you have a system where it's like, oh, if you fail, this means you're bad and you did something mm. wrong. Whereas mm. here it was like, well, no, it's not that you did something bad, it's that you actually are gonna learn from this and get stronger. And mm. that sense of like progression accomplishment and the same goes for Hel Elden Ring as well. When I came to Bloodborne like five years ago, I instantly bounced off the intro. Like I literally right. was like, I can't, I was such in a headspace. I'm so used to playing Batman Arkham where I'm pulling off like 300 hit combos <laughs> and like, you know, marrying the streets or whatever. Mm -hmm. Whereas with this, it was like, oh no, I need to like do that again. And like the sense of shared discovery and everything. So yeah, Hades and Elden Ring both made roguelikes and, uh, and um, uh, Souls likes kind of really. So the Souls thing's fascinating because it's such a, it's so counter to what the expected approach to difficulty is. Like, and I love that they've only doubled down on that. Elden Ring is, is the easiest game they've done, but I like that they baked in the solutions to that. Like, you can get more summons, you can go somewhere else and find a different enemy to fight or whatever. But I love like how they've been able to succeed because of that. Like, people do want our challenge, but like, it is interesting. I did a video on it back when Sekiro first came out um, about the idea of video game difficulty. Like, it just, it was an arcade thing to get more money out of you over and over again. And that just translated over to the home um, to the home releases of stuff um, based around the rental market. It was like, you should go back and rent the game again because you haven't beat the level, but it's coded to not let you through. There was a whole thing about Nintendo hard back in the late 80s, nearly 90s. Um, so for me, I was like, all this stuff is stupid. Um, unless you unless you specifically are designing a game around that. And I, like you said, I love that roguelikes were like, why not make death a mechanic and then go from there? Um, the one I was going to throw in is XCOM. Um, like I've always loved turn-based strategy, sorry, turn-based um, RPGs, like the Final Fantasies and that kind of stuff, um, GRPGs. But um, turn-based strategic stuff um, never clicked until I played XCOM. Um, 2012, it was Enemy Within or Enemy Unknown and then Enemy Within was the DLC follow-up. Um, just awesome. Just so tactile. Just so, um, you know, planning five moves ahead and like the whole um, love it when a plan comes together mindset um, yeah shout out to XCOM XCOM 2 people don't like that much and the franchise has kind of just died off I forget the name of the dude who um, created it but he went away and made another game called Phoenix Point because um, something Xavier happened with the Com. rights yeah Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Xavier Comsworth um, he went over and um, just was like I've, I'll bring XCOM over here now because something seems to have happened with the rights and everything else um, but XCOM landed the, the tactile side of it to me like grid based strategy like love that I enjoyed um, I was with Night Suns for that as well. Like, yeah. you know, I've never really been a big turn-based guy. And then I played that and I was like, well, this this is fluid. This is fun. Mm -hmm. This is kind of what I want from turn-based titles. Shout out to Midnight Suns. Like yeah. that game is so maligned and is so bits and pieces that you can see were like attempts at a different type of game. Yeah. And then it came out with something else. That game would have been so much better if it had released like 15 years ago before the MCU. <laughs> like if that was like a title for like the-, the in, the, in the Ultimate Alliance era. Yes, yeah. then it would have hit so much different because they wouldn't have felt obligated to include the Avengers and loads of snarky MCU style dialogue. That's what <laughs> kills that game for me. Is like, I don't want Blade running a butt club. Like this feels like fanfic. It, it does. I, I like that stuff because it was just so goofy and I'm so done with the MCU that I was like, okay, what have you guys got? But oh, it's that? Feel, okay. But that feels like it's MCU-y, kind of Kinda. like mollifying everyone's that same snarky joke quip machine and that True. kind of- and it's like if I'm playing a game called Midnight Suns, I want to play as the Spooky Boys. I don't want to play as Iron Man. I don't want to play as Captain America. Right, I want to right. actually play as like 
Blade, Ghost Rider. Give me more of these guys. I don't mm. want, you know, to, to fanny around in, like, uh, the, the Avengers space. Yeah, I liked it as, like, a fanfic thing. But the, by far the biggest um, the biggest strength for it is the combat. Like, yes. Fire Axis are the kings. They're the dudes that made XCOM. Like, I love them um, changing the foundations of how that thing moves and, like, all the different environmental interactions you can do, the different ways you can chain stuff together. That game absolutely rules, uh, especially in regards to its combat. It's so Moorish. Um, but it just, it's never going to get the... Um, the accolades uh, at this point, anyway. Um, question from L4 Oliver, who says, Tears of the Kingdom or Baldur's Gate 3 and why? Baldur's Gate 3 seems to be the game that's brought gaming back, and it's one point higher than Tears of the Kingdom on Metacritic. Um, quick thoughts from you. I know you've not played either, but I want to know what your perception I is. I mean, I think from, from an outsider looking in, mm-hmm. looking at what people were creating with Tears of the Kingdom when that came out, and then also what Baldur's Gate 3 achieves in a storytelling and freedom level, mm. these two games, for me encapsulate everything that is unique and special about this medium. You know, they, they are the things that they show the balance limitations of what we can do when we, we look at a game as a, you know, a chance to explore and like innovate and actually like do unique things. Make a video game. So honestly, like I have no, I have no, I don't think you should be looking at Metacritic to make an objective decision on this because review aggregators are stupid. Um, but I like, <laughs> I like the, I, I think you can't go wrong with either. I think they're both, they're both industry leading examples of like what we like not that every game should be like these. Mm. They're you know we want kind of a heterogeneous approach to to game development or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that like in terms of showing where the limitations are and like going and like smashing straight through them mm-hmm. and basically saying you know answering every question with of can you do this and it be yes mm-hmm. that is so great. That's so, a really yeah. good um, way of crystallizing what they bring to the table. Like, I finished Baldur's Gate three last night. My finish time was about sixty five hours ish, and I know that I've still got another hundred odd hours to do. <laughs> like as soon as I finished it, I was like I want to do another character. I want to try all these other parts that I didn't do um, and explore everything else. They're both phenomenal. I finished both games. Um, like it's, it's exactly what you said. It's that whole idea of there's an assumption of limitation on games right now, um, especially from the, in the AAA space of like, well, we can't afford to do this other thing or something like Red Dead Redemption 2 is a, it is a miracle video game, which it is, um, but it's an anomaly because only Rockstar could afford to do that. And that's also true with Baldur's Gate 3. Only Larian could afford to do that, where the Sven Vink, the guy that owns the company, is putting his own money in to get it over the finish line. Um, and obviously Nintendo doing Tears of the Kingdom. Um, Baldur's Gate 3, when I finished it, and I was just sitting there with the credits, you know, you just leave the credits on for a bit. Just let me just have that music for a bit more. Um, I was just sitting there going, like, I'm so glad that this exists in my lifetime. Like, it's unbelievable what they've pulled off. Um, the sheer amount of um, choice that you've got in experimentation. And it's what you said about like different ways that you can um, figure, you know, uh, figure out the quest and things you want to do. And, oh, what if I try this? And they've already accounted for it and you get something really cool from it or whatever. Um, it's Baldur's Gate 3. Like Tears of the Kingdom for me is way too similar to Breath of the Wilds. Like it's a really cool crafting system, but it's just that game again with that bolted on for the most part. I know that people have, it has its fans. Baldur's Gate 3 at every turn is an, oh my God, how have they done this? Like every single bit of it is stupidly well put together um, and it looks gorgeous as well. Like it's, it runs beautifully. It's absolutely stunning. I've only ever done P- uh, PS5. Um, but yeah, Baldur's Gate 3 is is a marker for gaming, like by far, um, to give it its flowers. Question from Dave Burns, who says, with Destiny 2 being nominated for Best Community Sport at the Game Awards, just after all the layoffs and controversy at Bungie recently, can you think of any other misfires with Games Slash Studios being nominated at the worst possible time? Ooh. We're both legends. <laughs> Thank you. I remember last year's Game of the Year being hilarious because we didn't have anything, and it went to It Takes Two. And It Takes Two is awesome. I love Joseph Farah's, but that was not Game of the Year. Not that I could actually necessarily point it like, oh my God, it's definitely this. But at the same time, it would be more like a God of War or something. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can't really think of any, like the industry at the minute is just in such a really sad, precarious place. Mm. And it feels like every single week we're getting news of Mm. like, you know, layoffs or, you know, just other just nonsense, which is just really frustrating. I genuinely can't think of another example of like an incongruous nomination where well, like something as awful has been happening off, off the screen, mm. whereas, you know, they're being recognized for their talents, even though they don't have a job. Like this, That's, like yeah. what we're going through right now is so unique and so bad and mm. so frustrating. And it is kind of, it does feel weird that we're kind of, we're, we're going to, like everyone, like people are losing their jobs towards the end of the year, which is usually a celebration regardless of the gaming sphere. You know, mm. it's, it, it's coming around the holiday season or whatever. It kind of has classed a, a dark cloud over, over these events. Like we're going to be honoring like these games and these companies, mm-hmm. but you know, the human cost is, is, has been reported and is there for, for everyone to see. Massively. Like, yeah, I think that um, because of that, because of especially October, that was when um, like the amount of people who have been let go was now over like 6,000. I forgot the full number is now, but it's like 6,200 and something, or maybe more than that. 
um, that that should be mentioned. I think that's why the Destiny 2 thing stood out. Obviously, the community support, the way that um, that game's rolled out, the monetization of it over time, and um, the final shape DLC being a bit of a letdown for those fans and everything is like a whole thing, but it's definitely exacerbated by the context that it's in. Like, um, yeah, I don't think there's been that many where something similar has happened, but we've never had a year of layoffs like this before, at least not in recent memory. Um, I think it really does stand out. It's interesting this year as well because the whole indie discussion is a thing, um, which I think we've, we've mentioned on the podcast before, but like the likes of Dave the Diver being owned by a multi-billion dollar company shouldn't really make it indie hilariously Baldur's Gate 3 would be indie because it was Larian who funded it themselves after the Kickstarter stuff or crowdfunding um, this year's game awards are weird um, they're kind of weird it's very um, just kind of try and have fun with it because they're not going to go back and recalibrate the categories at this point but um, it's, a, it's a weird one it's, it's, it's just it's so jarring because I feel like 2023 has been a really really good <clears throat> year for games oh, like, yeah, it's yeah. been really really good I've <laughs> certainly like felt like I've been more interested in actively getting more more like new games than I would have mm-hmm. was in previous years or whatever. So yeah, no, it's just it's it's a shame that it's coming down like this, and especially with like a the example here is like a community spirit award. Yeah, the community spirit. Th- that yeah. that in itself is like a particularly like that because <laughs> that that is literally like oh with that that emphasizes the human side of game development mm. and like you know community interaction and whatever mm-hmm. and it. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge bummer. It would be, yeah, it'd be like Activision getting like the best wholesome award or something like mm. that. It's like, no, this, I think the way, yeah, the way that the awards have shaken out, people have immediately had issues with them and they're rightly so. Um, but hopefully the event itself will still be a, a fun celebration of games and all the trailers, etc. I feel like the Game Awards itself has morphed quite a lot over the last few years um, just because of the amount of um, advertising deals that can be threaded throughout it um so it's whether people think of it as an awards thing or think of it as like an e3 adjacent thing where we're going in wanting trailers and reveals um because gta 6 is rumored to be there which will be the only thing people talk about anyway by the time that thing's over um if that's the case grand theft keely yes at this point yeah jeff theft jeff, auto yeah jeff, that's the one i should have gone for <laughs> god damn it grand jeff auto i had that in the front of my brain and i went for the one that didn't make any sense <laughs> it's a close time Stupid. Um, a question from actually, we'll, we'll do a final couple of questions from uh, Pinky, who says, "Talking about Suicide Squad, kill the Justice League. Do you think Captain Boomerang will be throwing all those sniper rifles, SMGs, and shotguns at his enemies? Big love as always. Um, big love as always. Legends, you've been amazing these past few months. Well, thank you very much. Oh. Also, uh, Casanova Frankenstein says, "What I want for Christmas is Warner Brothers to stop being ridiculous. License the Nemesis engine. Stop it. Stop the live service Suicide Squad. Just stop it. I'm old and I can't be dealing with this foolishness." Um, this is from last week uh, when we mentioned the Suicide Squad. The the general discussion around that. How do you think things have settled since that gameplay stuff came out. <sighs> <laughs> I do feel like it's obviously the go-to um, response is, oh my God, this game. Um, I don't know. I I just, I'll, I kind of just, I want to just see how it does. Like, I, I think I'm quite baffled by it at this point. I'll be amazed if it lands remotely well. Um, but it is interesting that the, they've kind of changed the perception a little bit, but it still always comes with a heaping of like, okay, that looks promising, but that's probably still so going to suck. They've released two more trailers this week. Mm-hmm. One was a Harley Quinn spotlight and one was a King Shark spotlight. Mm-hmm. I think, basically think that they're going to work as like YouTube adverts or like TV spots, so like 30 oh, seconds okay. longer piece or whatever, mm-hmm. where you get like a character bio and some gameplay examples or whatever. And like every time I begin to look at the gameplay and think this looks like it could be fun. I, I, and again, speaking as like a DC person, I would love the idea of playing with four buddies in Metropolis and like laying waste to, you know, <laughs> goopy aliens or whatever. Uh-huh. Every time that happens, they pull out a stupid gun that looks like it has no recoil and no actual connection and, right. like, and like weight to it mm-hmm. and with, with, what, with what people are interacting with. And I get really, really upset. It's, it's, it's really frustrating to me that like, again, it's, it's the idea of you have this license and rather than playing to the license's strengths, you have pasted a genre over it. And that to me mm. is so fundamentally frustrating. Like you look at King Shark in the comics, right? He is a big tanky character who bites people's heads off, <laughs> slices them up, rips them apart. And you look at that character and you genuinely can tell me with a straight face, you go, okay, so what we need to give that guy is an SMG and uh, a purple, uh, you know, like a minigun. Make sure he's jumping through midair most of the time. And like, oh, we look at Captain Boomerang. So he's called Captain Boomerang. Okay, so I'm getting actually like sniper rifle vibes from this guy. <laughs> like it is just, it, it, it fundamentally just is antithetical. It stands, like the, as much as the story may totally lend itself well to mm. an irreverent Suicide Squad story that we've kind of come to expect from those comics over the years, going back from like the John Ostrander run in the 80s or whatever, um, <clears throat> it's still, it, on a gameplay level, it's so incongruous. It does not make sense to me. And, yeah. and I again, like, 
I really like Rocksteady. I really hate to be down on something that they're bringing to the table. Um, after this long as well. After this long. But I just fundamentally cannot get past the idea of you are just, you're making a DC villain game and you are giving them just guns. Like <laughs> Harley Quinn gun, cool. Deadshot gun, uh, cool. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. Captain Boomerang and King Shark. What is going on here? If you introduce Deathstroke, are you just going to make him a gun guy? I mean, he uses guns, but he's mm -hmm. kind of more known for being a martial artsy swords person. Mm -hmm. It it just it it's it does not make sense to me. I'm yeah, I'm kinda looking forward to more of the deep dives, what actually happened with this game style reports that we'll get from the like Jason Schreier or Bloomberg or some people at Kotaku or Polygon or whatever. Um I'm more interested in that because it'll be nine years of development by the time this thing comes out. And they went from Arkham Knight to this and we've had layoffs, we've had um, people actually like, you know, choosing to leave, like some like studio Sefton heads. Sefton Hill, who was like the father the of founder. the studio, like, he he's gone as well. Yeah, yeah. and it's like I, that's the stuff that I want to know about. I know he'll be NDA'd, you'll have signed stuff. Stuff, whatever, but over time, I just want to know what that pivot was like. It's like frustrating because I, mean, I know Shreya was saying the other week that you know people, the, the whole rumor for a long period of time was that Rocksteady had pitched a Superman game to Warner Brothers and that this was rejected. And Shreya mm -hmm. has come out and said no, that it's not the case from what he's been told. Mm -hmm. um, Rocksteady have always been working on a Suicide Squad game, I believe. I think he said since 2017, 2016. It's funny. Or that's something. another thing yeah. is just to, to throw that in. There was always there's been a Suicide Squad game in production since 2013ish. Because like, Warner Brothers yeah. Montreal were originally on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can you can see. Well, from the, what looks like compelling leaks, did a video on it ages and ages ago now, before Gotham Knights and Suicide Squad Killer Justice League were announced, where mm -hmm. we were looking at kind of what WB Montreal had been working on. So it seems that the Suicide Squad IP has been on the forefront of WB, the company's mind. Yes. Um, I think they think it's their thing that the kids will love. Yeah, so they just keep going with it and I going just, with it. I, I, it is very frustrating to me because I feel like it. it's less lesser to a degree, I guess. But I remember the, the tonal switch between Batman Arkham City and Batman Arkham Knight was really jarring mm -hmm. to me mm -hmm. because, um, again, I, I'm not privy to the developmental process on those games, but I felt like when Paul Dini was not brought back for Arkham Knight, it lost kind of the storytelling focus mm -hmm. and the momentum of where Arkham City had left the story off. Mm -hmm. um, I'm getting even more tonal Flash between Arkham Knight and Suicide Squad because you ended that game and I know that I really did not like like with the whole Batman being like I'm just Batman now right. in fact I'm worse than Batman I'm Brr. the fear and um, that really annoyed me and then now you have this where he's like actually no I'm Batman again I'm part of the Justice League it just feels like there's like, you're hinging this on being a new installment in the Arkhamverse so you're aware of the prestige of the series mm. but you haven't made a sequel you've you've made something that doesn't really even seem to fit well within that aesthetic no, either I think it's just a marketing ploy I mean there was that whole thing when Gotham Knights was being revealed where they danced the line of it and it, it looks like that Gotham Knights looked more like the Arkham sequel and they had to come out and say like no it's not it's based off the idea that Batman died from the end of Arkham Knight but that's not it's not <laughs> The same timeline so they sort of like wanted to have their cake and then sell you another one anyway um, and be like this this weird like branching path thing but then like i said like, i would say that gotham knights aesthetically fits more with where arkham knight left off whereas this thing is like hyper day glow colored everything glows Just really loot items like and again we don't know if this was i know well actually no we try i did report on this like what it must have been eight years ago now or something ridiculous <laughs> about the damian wayne batman game yes. that, that wv montreal were working on mm -hmm. that to me, would have been so much better. Like again, like it's easy to say that about things you didn't see and didn't play. Um, but f speaking as a Batman person, I would much rather be playing a Damian Wayne Batman game that mm. kind of takes inspiration from Grant Morrison's comics, which are fantastic, um, and and maybe leaving a little bit of Batman Beyond thrown in there as well with kind mm -hmm. of the neo Gotham futuristic vibe. Mm -hmm. Than I would this. Like again, like a Suicide Suicide Squad are fine, but like I I I don't I. Like, no one's getting out of bed for Suicide Squad. It's 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 kind of ridiculous to me that we can... <laughs> how long has it been since Superman had a game? Like, we can have, like, a AAA Suicide Squad game with, like, all the money going in behind it, and mm -hmm. yet we're still the last Superman game we got was, what was that, 2006's Superman Returns? Uh, yeah, because Rise of Apocalypse was before that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, I would... Because the rumors for the, uh, the Superman game, which, like, you know, Shire said wasn't, weren't true or whatever, was this idea of a mid-air combat system where you're fighting, you punch a dude and you chase after him, kind of like the Man of Steel sequence where he's punching Zod. And I was like, you could finally bring that to life with SSD technology and how fast cities can stream in. Maybe you'd have to make a stupid amount of uh, landscape to be able to have those kind of fights. But the dream of, like, a Superman fighting system, like a melee fighting system that capitalizes on the amount of power behind that guy is kind of like a Dragon Ball game that would be on that scale, punching dudes through mountains or whatever the hell you want to do. 
um, mixed with the reality of the way the character's written. So you actually care about why you're punching that dude through a mountain. But um, that feels like it's in another realm of a rock steady that we would ever get from them anyway. Maybe WB Montreal going forward will do something like that. Yeah, I have no uh, idea. I don't know how well Gotham Knights sold either. I, I, really I, well. Yeah, really, really well. well. I mean, well, hopefully that means, you know, we're probably going to get another live service game from Montreal then in that case. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm just... Uh, it's it's very weird for me. Like mm. Rocksteady, like I have a, I love I love Rocksteady's Arkham Asylum, Arkham City. I love Montreal's Arkham Origins, Arkham Knight, which had less of the old Dini influence. I didn't mm. really gel with as much, so mm. I don't know if I'm just maybe it's their approach to the DC mythos and what they see in these characters that I'm not vibing with anymore. Mm. Um, but on a pure gameplay sense, this thing is still astounding to me, and I agree with you. I really do want to know the thought process and rationale behind why. Nine years after Arkham Knight, we are getting a Suicide Squad game. I need to know why. I'd be fascinated by uh, the more that can come out about how much influence uh, David Zaslav's stuff, how much he influence he has on game development. Because um, obviously CEO of Warner Brothers, but he was the guy a couple of weeks ago saying he wants more live service stuff, if anything else. Um, but didn't really seem to acknowledge the reality of delaying Suicide Squad a year to get around those components. They seem like they are still in there um, quite a lot. And then that, that idea of whatever WB Montreal p- pivoted onto after Gotham Knights would assumedly then be a live service focused game um, and then does that have what origins does that have in the mechanics that came from Arkham or does it play more like Gotham Knights or whatever like I just I feel like lots of people on the bottom of this end of the Warner Brothers pyramid are waiting for the dude at the top to make up his damn mind mm-hmm. and he can't um, because he's too busy doing 30 million dollar tax write-offs um, and I imagine that trickles down and you're trying to just get through your working day in real time waiting for the person above to send you an email yeah. that might gut the last two and weeks we had the rumors work. as well that the uh, monoliths one Wonder Woman game would be live so they I think there was a source of someone spoken out about it and saying that it's not live service it's, I think it, oh, was it, was a, it was a statement yeah, yeah. It's not a live service title. So clearly they're conscious of the fact that this this live service word has kind of got a toxic kind of connotation say, now. So I just, yeah. I, all that, I'll call this right now and maybe I'm wrong. I think all they're doing is changing the terminology. By the time it comes out, it'll still have premium currencies. It'll still have regular seasonal updates and whatever for Suicide Squad. Um, they've already said multiple seasons of content, but they'll call it something else. I think that's why they're able to say Wonder Woman's not a live service game because they'll call it something else. They'll call it a living game or whatever. It'll be something else. Um, but the actual like machinations of what people the over monetization the predatory side of it it's what Mortal Kombat 1 is um, I think that'll still be the reality of what those games are because the CEO himself is asking for it so I wouldn't be I would be amazed if they just release games like Arkham Asylum and City where it's just a finished actual game um, I don't think you'll get them from WB until they bottom out entirely um, or Zaslav gets replaced or something um, that's just my thought I think this is a terminology thing um, but anyway that's been the entire Banner Podcast EBP UBP the UBP I've been Scott Taylor that's been you and Pat and we'll catch you throughout the week. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.